Welcome back to Plenary Session Podcast. This is a Sensible Medicine exclusive. I'm joined by two of my friends and colleagues, Dr. Adam Sifu, Professor of Medicine, University of Chicago. He's a practicing internist, and as you'll learn soon, he is a GI doctor apologist. And Dr. John Mandrola, who is a practicing cardiologist and a great student of evidence-based medicine. And you know me, Benai Prasad, oncologist, professor of epidemiology, we're going to be talking about the Nordic study, a randomized controlled trial of colonoscopy, the very first one. This is going to be a discussion, a debate. We don't all see eye to eye. We're going to get into the weeds. Uh, but first, I want to thank you both for, for joining me and maybe see if you have any opening thoughts. Adam, thank you for joining us. Sure. My opening thoughts are, I think both you guys are wrong. I read all the drivel that you put out there so, far. <laughs> so this is your chance to, to set us straight. And John, any opening thoughts? Uh, thanks for having me. And I, I guess my opening thought is that I, I want to say that um, the reason why a cardiologist is involved in the GI screening paper is twofold. One, I get about five messages per day asking if my AFib patients can DC their anticoagulants <laughs> for That's true. Uh, colonoscopy. Number two, I think that if nothing else, this, this trial is a, a good exercise in thinking and critical appraisal. And that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm so interested in it. And that's well put. So I wanted to start by just getting us all to agree on the facts, and then we'll get into this study and we'll talk about interpretation and what it means. So here's the way I think of the lay of the land when it comes to colorectal cancer screening. All screening tests, the purpose of the screening test is to find cancer before it becomes advanced. And you find it at a stage where you can act upon it, presumably that if you had let it go unchecked, it would get to a stage where it's less likely to be amenable to therapy. And the moment you get to a point where you can treat stage four disease as well, you can treat stage one disease, the impetus to screen vanishes, as with testicle cancer. So we don't do you know, self-testicular exams, it's USPSTF grade D. When it comes to colon cancer screening, we have randomized controlled trials that show that Two modalities improve cause-specific mortality or death from colon cancer. FOBT has shown that in multiple randomized controlled trials, yearly FOBT reduces the risk of dying of colon cancer, and flexible sigmoidoscopy has also shown that in randomized controlled trials. FOBT has failed to show an improvement in all-cause mortality in randomized trials, but flexible sigmoidoscopy has in an Annals of Internal Medicine meta-analysis. You want to jump in or you agree with these facts so far? I want to jump in because I see where okay. you're going with this. And there are a couple of points. Um, <laughs> okay. You have yes. to be a little bit, okay? You need to be a little bit rational about this. Um, because the reason that we should be skeptical of colonoscopy if we're going to accept FOBT and flexible sigmoidoscopy is that, oh, wow, is this a much more dangerous procedure? Okay. Um, and that's always been a real question. And one of the strong points about this study that we'll see is that this makes us realize that actually colonoscopy is honestly safer than I thought. Um, and then what's different about this, and I really like the way you throw out there, you know, we don't screen people to find cancer, right? We screen people to help, okay? Um, and this is a little bit different because colon cancer screening really is the only screening test we have which actually prevents cancer. And maybe you as an oncologist want there to be more cancer. Oh, come on. You played that card. <laughs> no, I do not. Come on. I okay, go on, go on, go on. Certainly, yeah. certainly, certainly rather have a polypectomy than even have treatment for stage one colon cancer. Um, and you just have to look at this article a little bit differently than you look at most screening articles, because I think we all agree a lot of screening is a waste of time. A lot yes, of screening yes. finds disease that we don't need to screen. So I agree with all your data, but I can see you, you know, laying the groundwork because I've listened to you for a long time. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. Okay, well, those are fair points. I'll say there's one other test that's a screening test that's also preventive, and that is a visual inspection of the cervix where you see something and you can immediately act upon it by snaring it or, you know, removing it or biopsying it. So that's the other one. But you're right, colonoscopy, you can clip a polyp before it becomes a cancer. And you know, Flexig, to be fair, is also a procedure where you can clip some things. Um, okay, so FOBT, Flexig, randomized trial data. We agree on that. FOBT, cause-specific mortality. Flexig, you got both. 
What about FIT? Fecal immunohistochemical testing. Now, this I actually think is fair. It's a fair extrapolation of FOBT, good sensitivity, good specificity. It relies on the principles that were proven in the FOBT study. Fecal DNA, I think that that's kind of a, no pun intended, crappy extrapolation because it is really a one-time test tested against a one-time test and doesn't get the advantage of the serial benefit of a fit year after year. Um, methylated DNA, you know, the, uh, the Cologuard, the blood-based screening, that's just abysmal data. It has poor sensitivity and not terrific specificity either. Um, and colonoscopy. Colonoscopy is very logical. It's at least a flexible sigmoidoscopy, which we'll argue a little bit about because I have, a, I have, a, I have a, a little argument there that it's not a flexible sigmoidoscopy. It's different. Um, but it's at least a flexible sigmoidoscopy in the sense that you see all the same territory. But to be fair, it has never shown a benefit in any randomized trial. It's never been tested in a randomized trial. This is the very first one, Nordic. Adam? So can I just ask yes. you um, why you would argue that colonoscopy would be worse than flexible sigmoidoscopy? Ah, okay. You're cutting right to the chase. Here's my argument, okay? In this study, and- I don't want know, to hear about this study. No, I no, actually no. want to hear sort of bioplausibility. Yes. Why would- why would visualizing a third of the colon be less good than visualizing the entire colon? Ah, good. So I will argue that you shouldn't think about it one-to-one, -one, one colon to one colon. You should think about it population to population. In FlexSig randomized trials, we get 55 to 80% compliance. In this study, you get 42. That's because nobody wants to do colonoscopy. If you offered FlexSig as a population program, you're going to bump it up 10, maybe 15 percentage points. It's more palatable. And so think about the person on the margin who wouldn't have been screened if only given a colo, but would have been screened had he gotten a FlexSig. And that might be the difference between the very positive results in FlexSig trials and this study. That's my argument. What do you say? I say that's a lot of hand-waving. Oh, um, come on! <laughs> no, I'll, I'll that's a good argument! Go on. It's okay, an okay. argument, and okay. I'll accept it as an argument. Um, um, and it's it's you know it's not completely spurious. I think that makes sense. Okay, um, you know the the issue here, and we'll get into the trial deeper. Is you know this is a single time invitation out of the blue, right? This really, really, really does not um, mimic how colon cancer screening is done in the United States, where colon cancer screening is you know, pitched by a primary care physician, whether it be an internist, a family practitioner, you know, whatever, to say, look, this is an important test that you should have, and this is why. And, you know, it's it's sort of been everybody who's spoken in favor of colonoscopy in the last, whatever, 36 hours, right, has looked at the, I don't know, adherence to this strategy and said, oh, come on, this paper's garbage. And I usually wouldn't buy that. But for someone who's been recommending colonoscopies for, you know, 20 mm -hmm. years, mm -hmm. um, the idea that only whatever 40% of my patients actually follow through the colonoscopy is kind of hilarious to me. You think it's um, low? It's incredibly low. With a good doctor like I you. Mean, no, but no, I don't think it's a good doctor like me. I think it is a doctor who's sitting with the patient and saying, look, this is why you should have colon cancer. But let me give you the counter argument there. And, the counter argument. Wait, okay, 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 okay. okay. Because I get the ridiculous data about like, how good am I doing with colon cancer screening, right? And I'm at like 90 to 95%. And given, yes, I have, you know, insured patients who come and see me and have a long-term relationship and you can poo-poo that. But man, that is very different from 40%. So the argument I'll make, and we made in our essay, is that American statistics suggest that in the last few years, it's between 60 and 70 percent pre-pandemic. And that's the best it's ever been. And that's a question that says, are you up to date with any CRC screening? In a single year, it's 40 percent per annum for people in the right years. But 60 percent of people say they're up to date. But historically, it's been quite low. In Norway, one country in this study, they achieved 60 percent compliance with colonoscopy. That, I think, is comparable to the U.S. I mean, the best place in the U.S., um, you know, you also don't see the denominator people who don't show to, because by the way, guess who my internist is? Ain't nobody. <laughs> I mean, I don't have an inch, you know, okay, but you don't see the full denominator. Um, but so, so my argument is that at least this is a snap, a reflection of what we've been doing for 25 years, where many years it might've been 40%. All right, now, okay, go on. Your I, point, I say, go on. Yes. You know, I think a big problem is that colonoscopy is far from an ideal screening test. Right? Yes, yes. For all the reasons that you say, you know, God, you got to get prepped, you got to get anesthesia, you got to take a day off. You know, it's a miserable test, and there's a lot working against it. Um, and we could do better. 
I think the question though, reading this study is, you know, right now in 2022, um, is this a good test? And I'll argue that it is. But let me, uh, one question for you, and then we'll let John tell us about the study because he hasn't had a chance to say anything. He's just watching us fight at each other like we used to do and no one would see us. Okay, my question for you is this. If, wouldn't it be better if the United States USPSTF said the following, we recommend everyone should get flexible sigmoidoscopy above the age of 50. Why? Because we have the best data for that. And we know compliance is going to be good. And we'll be, we'll be comparable to Norway, Israel, Canada. You know, many other nations do do that. But instead, in the United States, we, the USPSTF says any screening is better than no screening so that they allow the GI doctor to find that $1,000 bill in the CECOM, which is what they go for. The little forceps, they grab that $1,000 bill and they yoink it out of the seat. You know, that's why they like it. And, but it also, their USPS, it, it, it erodes FlexSig in two ways. Pushes people to colo, many whom will be discouraged from it. You know, some, many doctors don't even offer FlexSig as a choice. It's not even a choice in a lot of places. And even though I, you know, I don't want to drink that bottle of go lightly. And then the other way it erodes it is a lot of people go to the blood-based and these things that hardly work at all. So my question to you is, is it, wouldn't it be better if the recommendation was FlexSig instead of this? No, I think <laughs> that you did not convince me that, you know, that if, if you had the choice between a FlexSig and a colonoscopy, I think a colonoscopy is a better test. And I think the way things actually work in the real world is a doctor says, you should have a colonoscopy. It's the best test. And the patient who says, you know, I really don't want to do it. Then you say, okay, you, know, you should have the second or third best test. And I got to say, when I discuss this with patients, people don't default to sigmoidoscopy because as much as people say, oh, the test isn't so bad, it's the prep. Actually, it's sort of the idea of having an endoscope and actually having a, a sigmoidoscope when you're wide awake is a whole lot worse for some people than having a colonoscope. Um, so when my patients refuse colonoscopy, I generally end up with fit testing for them because that's what they're going to accept. Well, if I had to lower my N95 mask, then no sedation for me. That's the... <laughs> okay, John, tell us okay. about this study. Tell us about wait, this wait. study. Hold yes. on. Before yeah. I do that, can I just add one philosophical yes. point that I think maybe, maybe I'm foolish to even bring this up, but okay, the, the idea in my head, when you're screening for any disease, we screen for cardiac disease, cancer, these are serious diseases. Isn't the idea to, if you prevent that disease, if you prevent death from that disease, you'll change, you will, you improve survival. Correct. And, but what gets me just from a goofy philosophical standpoint is there's about 5 million ways a human being can die. And I just want to, you know, I, I just want to get Adam in your opinion about the, the whole idea of trying to prevent death from one disease. I know my wife, Stacy, is boarded in hospice and palliative care. She practiced palliative care. And one thing you learn is that it just, there's absolutely anything that can take you out. And I just, I, I don't know. I, I just want to get into the whole philosophical argument about screening for one type of cancer or one kind of you know, heart disease. So I, I mean, I, I really, although maybe I don't sound it, I really appreciate arguing with you guys because, or I'll say arguing with Benai, um, <laughs> because I think that at baseline, we all very much agree on sort of our approach to medicine. And man, I've made this argument that like, you know, our cancer screening should be about decreasing overall survival, you know, a thousand times. I was making this argument when I was six years old, okay? <laughs> but the issue is that when you're, so we know it's hard to prove overall mortality benefits just because you need a ton of people. Um, and I'm, I'm sort of willing to say, look, if we're truly decreasing disease-specific mortality, and I don't think we're harming people, I'm okay with that because I think overall we're going to have a benefit if we do this for enough people. Now, I don't think that's necessarily the case for prostate cancer, where I think you know we lower prostate cancer mortality, but I'm not really sure that we lower overall mortality. I'm not even sure about this when we talk about breast cancer screening. Um, because of how complicated mammography is. Um, I think one of the things that this paper really adds is that, look, here's a test um, which is 
decreasing the amount of colon cancer we're seeing, okay? And it is truly doing that with basically no harm. Um, and so if you accept that, you know, preventing colon cancer is a good thing, and it's hard for me to figure out a way to argue against that, and you're doing it in a way which is not harming patients, um, I'm really kind of willing to accept that. You can certainly make a cost argument against that. And that's sort of, for me, a whole nother issue because you could look at the numbers in this trial, which we'll get to and say, ah, oh, my God, you know, look, we got a number needed to screen of whatever, 250, 450. Somebody else needs to make that decision of where we want to put the money. Um, but this is one place that I'm very comfortable that, you know, disease specific mortality or, you know, decreasing um, what is a terrible disease, which needs to be treated aggressively is a pretty good thing. So let me just add, and uh, Adam and I agree, I think largely on this philosophically. And uh, I do like this test, you know, endoscopy, by that I mean flexing. No, I mean, but I like the idea that you clip the polyps. Okay, we can, we're gonna get into the right and left side and things like that. Um, but mammography and prostate cancer, they make so many more patients, uh, people patients who otherwise wouldn't die of the disease, that I think it's easy to believe that all that RT to the pelvis, that the, 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 the doubling increased risk of rectal cancer, all that diagnosis of prostate cancer with the, the concomitant uh, increase in cardiovascular events and suicidality, that might offset the gains. So mammography and PSA, I think we totally agree. CT screening lung cancer, I think that that trial NLST, they didn't do a good job of finding off-target deaths. They're people who definitely are victim to the aggressiveness of, in, of screening that don't get attributed to that trial because in the NLST protocol, they only follow the first subsequent test. That's a limitation of the study. In colon cancer, I agree with Adam that it's the safest one, but the things that I think are what we call slippery linkage kind of off-target effects are, you know, people who, you know, their their electrolytes get thrown out of whack because they drink the go lightly. People who perf, people who have, um, you know, uh, SBO, people who have uh, uh, infection after the procedure. These are very rare, um, but they're small. And let's see what the upper bound. This paper will say that if this OS benefit is real, here's the benefit. Your 10-year risk of dying in the control arm, 11.03%. Assuming 100% compliance with colonoscopy by their own analysis, it'll go to 10.88%. So you go from 11.03 to 10.88, number needed to treat 666. Um, that's the Vin best case scenario if there were an OS benefit. Vinay, I got to call you on yes. this talking about the complications of colonoscopy because one of the really powerful things about this article is it kind of debunks a lot of what you just said, right? Because Most there's of these no perforation. We're terrifically successful as far as seeing the whole colon, right? And people flew through this without a problem. You know, people were not dying of sudden cardiac death for this made up electrolyte abnormalities that you're coming Well, from. no, I mean, that, that's not going to be coded in the paper, that'll be coded in the OS. I mean, that's not going to be because it's pragmatic registry based, they don't have the, the granularity to pull all these adverse events. So we don't know who's on dialysis because of this. We don't, I mean, I think that's a limit of the paper. Yeah, but come on, that, that's like a turtle being strangled by a mask. Right? <laughs> More turtles are strangled by masks than masks have preventing COVID in 2022. I want that. I think that is true. I think that's true. Right, okay, I'm going avoid, okay. Okay, okay, okay. to avoid telling you anecdotes, <laughs> anecdotes about how many patients who get AFib from the prep and then or get that's what i'm from saying their, i think i think get, it happens get okay, from their on, withheld yeah. anticoagulants we won't go there let's just okay, go okay, to the okay. paper let's go to the paper go on john okay. Tell us about the paper. i think the most important thing to say about the paper first is that this was not a trial of colonoscopy versus no colonoscopy this was a pragmatic trial done to simulate real world and it was uh, basically a test of being invited to screening colonoscopy versus standard of care. And of course they used the registry that European countries have that we don't really have. And they ended up with 85,000 patients randomized and it was an uneven randomization one to two. But the, the basic finding without any numbers is that 10 years of follow-up, an invitation to screening did modestly reduce the risk of being diagnosed with colorectal cancer, but it did not significantly reduce the risk of dying from colorectal cancer. And of course, um, survival uh, from cancer was nearly identical in both groups and all cause mortality, like then I just said, was, was the same. Now, specific numbers, this is important because it gets into the Y axis and, and you can see uh, the picture that we showed on the Substack really 
there, there's differing y-axis. But anyways, the chance of getting diagnosed with colorectal cancer is only 0.98% in the invited group versus 1.2% in the usual care group. Now that's an 18% relative risk reduction, but a 0.22% absolute reduction. Okay, now what about colorectal cancer, which was the one of the other primary endpoints? The chance of dying from colorectal cancer in 85,000 patients randomized was 0.28% versus 0.31%. And that was absolutely not statistically significant. And I've already mentioned that the overall survival was both 11.03 and 11.04. So about as identical as you can get. And we put the Kaplan-Meier curves on the, on the uh, substack. And if you just use the y-axis from zero to 100, you can't even see it go above the x-axis. There's like nothing there. I, I had to blow it up. And then you, if you blow it up and you make the scale, you know, zero to 1.75, then again, there's no difference. And even the editorialist write, and I suspect that they're proponents, this relatively small reduction in the risk of colorectal cancer and the non-significant reduction in the risk of death are both surprising and disappointing. Okay, so that's the top line results right there. And I mean, we always talk about top line results, so that's it. Well, only one thing I'll add, and then I'll get Adam because I think now we're it's it's an unfair fight. But okay, here's the, here's the only thing I'll add. Many of these studies are faulted for contamination of the control arm. That some people got a screening colonoscopy who weren't supposed to because they were assigned to not be screened. This study has a great advantage, which that is essentially zero, and they achieve that because they use fifty five to uh, to what is it sixty four or sixty nine. 55 to 69, I think. Um, they don't use 50 to 55 because they want to stagger it from population screening programs in these countries so that they can really achieve a clean control group. Because I remember after PLCL prostate, everyone said, oh, that one PSA, that undid, that's why you know there's no benefit, et cetera. So that doesn't apply here. Um, and then the other difference is I saw some people say that like, well, they shouldn't even get diagnostic colos on the control arm. But I think like we'll all agree that's wrong because if you have a bloody bowel movement and you're like, and, or if you have a, a thinning caliber stool, you need a diagnostic colonoscopy and that's a medical procedure. It's not a screening procedure. It's a diagnostic procedure and you ought to be getting those. And then the last point I'll make, and, and then I'm curious what Adam thinks, there's been so many secular trends from the early you know, Minnesota study to the present day, smoking, obesity, diet, fiber, and even like, the, uh, like a man's desire to say, my stools are thinner. Like that's, you know, we have, uh, you know, from our parents' generation to our generation, all these things are moving parts. And the more people are willing to admit, I have blood in my stool, um, the better adjuvant therapy gets, the better surgical resection gets, the benefit, upper bound benefit of colorectal cancer on death, and you're going to say at least it prevents you from getting the surgery in the first place, but on death is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller uh, with time. All right, Adam, save these GI the doctors. The study yes. was a great example. Yes. And that study was flawed because so many people in the control group were screened for prostate cancer. Just once. This is, I would, sorry? Just once, though. Just once. Just once. Okay, just once. <laughs> this, I would argue, is the same, but the difficulty is not that people in the control group were being screened. It's that so many people in the intervention group were not being screened at all, right? Um, I think this is a place that the per-protocol analysis is really important. And you're smiling because you're like, oh, per-protocol analysis. You know, I'm going to talk about how these groups are different. Do you think that and I'll let you talk through why you think that looking at the Pope, you know, we always say intention to treat, intention to screen is important because it maintains randomization and it looks more like, you know, reality. Okay. Um, it's really hard for me to not chuckle at people who tell me that people who volunteer, who accepted the invitation to get colon cancer screening are so different from the people as far as their risk for colon cancer, right? Um, from those who didn't, that's a quite a stretch. Um, and also in this case, you know, my argument, I think it's probably where I hope we're gonna agree is that I'll buy the numbers that if, man, you know, if 40% of people in a population get screened for colon cancer and all we do, um, you know, is decrease the number of col of colon of sorry of colon cancer. You know, whatever one in four hundred fifty five or one in two hundred sixty three. If you're looking at the at the intention to screen or the per protocol, that that's crappy. But 
you know, I think the PER protocol is important because I'm arguing that, you know, colonoscopy is a good test if your patients can get it. And that's why I started reading this study as a physician. Am I going to stop recommending this? Like, no way. Because I've been recommending screening tests that I don't believe in that have number needed to screen of, you know, 11, 1,500. Yeah. We should. Okay. We okay. should talk about this whole business because it just we kind of skipped well, over. Yeah, there, yeah. But the per what, what Adams what Adams yeah. getting at is that that this wasn't like I said it wasn't a trial of colonoscopy versus no colonoscopy. And if you were invited, if you were randomized to be invited, you had to then decide to get it. And only forty two percent of those in the invited arm got it. Got the colonoscopy, yeah. which means okay. more than half didn't uh, in the colonoscopy arm didn't get the procedure. So it would be like a procedure trial where more than half didn't get the procedure. Well, but, okay, yes. but but so intuitively everybody will say, and and we've said this in the AF ablation world because this comes up in our uh, one of our major AF ablation trials right. called Cavana, yeah. and the, the thought is that you can't benefit from a colonoscopy or any procedure if you didn't have it. So then. Um, number one, I, I want you to I want you to talk about this whole notion of staying in the arm that you were randomized to, and then I think we should talk about what the authors did to try and um, sort of uh, satisfy that uh, uh, comparison between colonoscopy and no colonoscopy. Okay, so I mean, this is a, I mean, this is a fun discussion because it's broader than this. Intention to treat versus per protocol in a randomized controlled trial, and it's different if it's superiority versus non-inferiority. Where you know, I think there's a whole other can of worms. For the sake of this argument, we'll put aside the non-inferiority discussion, which I think it's more relevant for like a Pixivan versus Coumadin, etc. Um, the other thing to say is every single randomized trial of an intervention is typically short of 100% compliance. Even chemo, it's like 99, but you know, but not 100, and it's normal for randomized trials of healthier people screening um, broader population level interventions to have a lower compliance. I mean, I think that just goes hand in hand. The Bangladesh cluster randomized trial of masking had a 40% compliance in one arm and a 10% in the other arm. And here we're talking 42-0, basically. And I think PLCO even was, it was like, you know, whatever. There's some 100% contamination at least once, but a higher rate of people doing it more yearly in, in the prostate study. Um, so what is the purpose of randomization? It's to equilibrate known and unknown confounders to randomize people so you don't know, but you know on average you'll get the same outcome distribution. Um, and the way to analyze a randomized trial, a superiority study, is intention to treat based on, like, we know these outcome distributions would be the same. Um, having intended for these people to get therapy X, did it yield a benefit? And to some degree, this trial asks the question as to, like, should these nations launch a population colonoscopy screening program through the mail, knowing that some people ain't going to do it? Um, it's really testing that question, what, what should a nation do kind of question. Maybe not the what should an individual do, which we can come back to. Um, can I just add to that? Because yes. this actually support your, your point. Yeah. Um, it's really also not a um, trial of colon cancer screening you know, in general, right? Yes, right. Because, um, because most of us would say, as you pointed out to begin with, you know, we know that some colon cancer screening works. And if you are really trying to say, you know, does colonoscopy, you know, is colonoscopy better, you would have randomized these people to fecal occult blood, blood testing versus colonoscopy or sigmoidoscopy versus colonoscopy. You know, that's not the question that was asked, and that's not that's the not. question they went after. And, and there's two ongoing studies that ask just that question. David Lieberman, FOBT versus colon in the VA system, and Doug Robertson, the editorialist, is running the FIT versus colonoscopy randomized trial. So that will shed clarity. Um, okay, here's my argument of per protocol. Once you do a randomized control trial, you don't really know what it was about someone that made them compliant with colonoscopy. They may be richer, they may be poorer, they may be more worried about colon cancer because their uncle had it. I mean, they may actually be at higher risk too. They may be more likely to eat quinoa and granola, they may be less likely to. You don't know these things. This analysis takes everybody who did the colonoscopy in one arm, 42%, varying from 30% in Poland to like 60% in Norway. It varies by country. Um, and compares them against covariate matched people in the control arm who were otherwise similar by known variables to see is there a difference in that group. But my strongest argument for that is, if you're going to trust that analysis, we didn't need to run the study in the first place because Miguel Hernan did an observational study that's the exact same thing as the PER protocol study three years ago, you know? In observational data, when you match groups, you get a colonoscopy benefit. And so in my mind, the only virtue of randomization for superiority is if you use IIT, intention to treat, ITT. That's, that's my strongest argument. 
Um, and the other thing is, is it, isn't it a clue that, like, I don't know, it's not so palatable to drink that bucket of slop and be pooping yourself out the night before. <laughs> okay, so that's that's my thought on Per Protocol. And and as I said, I agree with that. Colonoscopy is not a great test, and it shows you here that it's difficult to do, and a lot of people would rather not have a colonoscopy than have a colonoscopy. Um, but, um, you know, it's there are a lot of studies where I feel like, wow, the per protocol analysis here is wrong because it's so obvious. That obvious what the confounder is, yes. Are going to be different from those who, you know. Okay, well, yes. that's, yeah. okay, let's, let's then talk about, let's, let's just say, okay, we're, we're just going to look at the per protocol analysis because there are some trials where intention to treat and per protocol look different and it really, it makes you think, but here, even with all these limitations of, 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 of bias and matching and the per protocol analysis, simulating patients who, you know, would get the, would get the colonoscopy, the risk of dying from colon cancer was 0.15%. If you were in the uninvited group, the control group, the 0. risk 3. of dying from colon cancer was 0.30%. So we're talking about, that's a 50% risk reduction that's not a lie that's true but we're talking about a risk reduction of 0.15% or 15 in 10,000 one so sixth of 1% me, and the backdrop mortality rates 11 percentage points so guys, it's like one sixth of, okay that's the, that's what i come I, to yes i think i'll tell you what the problem is okay. i i really am not thinking about overall survival in this article i think i've been you know super clear about that and i get it like, this is the reason that we have all agreed on objecting to other screening tests, okay? Um, but boy, you know, something that prevents cancer, if we're going for these pro, pro protocol numbers with a number needed to screen of 263, and maybe because you guys are subspecialists and you deal with sick people and you think that everybody you treat, you help, you know, this is an incredible number. And the idea that, you know, like 263 people, you know, I've got a practice of a thousand people, right? Like I'm going to do this four times. That's a lot of colon cancer to prevent. Um, and I go into this, I got to say, as a believer, because in 25 years of practicing, I've had people die of colon cancer. They've been the people who haven't got, who have declined their colonoscopy. Have I ever had someone who's gotten colon, colon cancer? Um, who's had their colonoscopy as recommended. No. And this finally sort of supports, you know, my anecdotal data and what I see in clinic. But Adam, all those arguments will apply to the PSA too, though, would it not? I don't think so, because okay. I think the PSA is a dangerous test. You know, I think what happens to that is we take people who do not have cancer and then we operate on them. We give them XRT. We make them impotent. You know, we give them incontinence. We kill people that way. We don't do that with this test. Well, wait a second, Adam. Uh, hold on uh, a second. Okay, I see. That's oh, hold the, on. Uh, you you said uh, 240. If if the risk reduction is 0.15% in the per protocol, best case six, scenario, six, in colorectal six, cancer, six. it's over 600, 666. Yeah, six, 667, so, yeah. And, okay, I, I, I'm, I know I'm, I'm going to about... get in trouble by even saying this, but... With that kind of absolute risk reduction, in the best case scenario, a biased estimate, I mean, how much how much Medicare dollars, how much are we willing to pay uh, so this is for the part a point where one five percent risk reduction? And I know, I know, you know, we should never consider dollars, but come on. I mean, this is crazy how much money is spent for that much. If you risk just turn reduction. it into chlorothalidone, Adam, you'd get you get that number down to one hundred. Just turn it into chlorothalidone or even lower. Okay, go on. So, what do you say? So, yes. Uh, so the, the numbers I'm using are the colon cancer prevention article. I see. Yeah. yeah. Argument, the incident not cases. Not the overall survival. Okay. Uh, you know. But 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 colorectal cancer death is really the only measure I think that's important. So we disagree on that, um, because I, you know, would rather have a colonoscopy with a polypectomy than be diagnosed with stage one colon cancer and need a hemicolectomy. I you know, but I, no, but but no, I no, agree no, really. with I agree with that. That if that were to, uh, okay, yes, uh, but I think 
that could be directly measured in a randomized control trial. Rates of hemicolectomy, colectomy, polypectomy, polypectomy that was not fully done, which led to referral hemicolectomy or referral, uh, you know, uh, an, uh, a snip of the colon and health-related quality of life. And so I'm a big supporter that if you showed me an improvement in those endpoints in the absence of death, I would sign up for it too. But I guess what I am skeptical of is we're assuming facts not in question because I don't know for sure that they end up with fewer hemicolectomies or, you know, days in the operative room. Um, so that's, I think, a difference. Uh, but I mean, this is a failure of many screening trials that just don't adequately capture these downstream procedures that matter to people. And then the other thing I would say is, I think, I guess the question I really have for you, Adam, is, is back to the FlexSig. Why, I guess, FlexSig, why do you like colonoscopy more than FlexSig? Because, the, I mean, you, the data is better for FlexSig. That's my question. I actually, you know, in a way, I don't care, you know? Okay, um, well, that, okay, I got you now. I don't care. Okay, okay. Because okay. I, you're right. I mean, colonoscopy, flexible sigmoidoscopy, they're essentially the same test. Um, but, you know, I, I really do think, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for me to say like, oh, you know, I'm willing to accept that I'm missing two thirds of the colon kind of willfully when we know that people do get you know, right-sided colon. Uh, let's cancers. talk about that, yeah. Um, and just from, you know, clinical experience, sigmoidoscopy is, I don't think, measurably more appealing to patients. Uh, um, so in a world where we're- Why, why not? It, sorry? Because why he not? says, he does, they don't want something put up there. He thinks that's the root of the objection. Right. Um, but but the nice thing when, is, two fleets people, enema is way better than drinking a gallon of that stuff. Know. Okay, yeah. I agree, but- this is, and I hate to sound all anecdotal because I hate that, but this is really from, you know, hundreds of people over the years who say, I'm not having colonoscopy. And I say, okay, so here's the other test we can do. And nobody says, oh, that sounds great. I'm going to do a sigmoidoscopy. They say, no, give me the fit testing. I'm willing to do that. It sounds awful, but, you know, I'll do it. But I, I totally agree with you, Adam, that the psychology of the person who declines colon cancer is exactly as you've articulated. But I think that one missing piece of the puzzle is two pieces. One, flexible sigmoidoscopy has Medicare reimbursements, I think, that average 400 to $600, whereas colonoscopy, we're talking about two to three grand Medicare reimbursement. And so when you're thinking about a population, I mean, it's going to be horrific uh, if we actually did a randomized trial of one versus the other um, to, to even make it cost effective for the additional thing. The next point I would make is that patients may not know, but I think in terms of the number of days lost from work, they're significantly higher from colonoscopy, and it is the prep. It's drinking it, pooping yourself, and then being up all night, and then the next day off to recover. Um, and it's significant loss of economic productivity from, from I mean, it's more onerous. They may, they may think it's the going up there that's the problem, but it is the drinking the prep that's really the barrier. I think you're stretching things. So I want to say one thing where I yes. think we agree, but I think you're stretching yes. things. I think a sigmoidoscopy or a colonoscopy is a day off of work. Um, either way. No, but the colonoscopy is two days off of work. That's what I was saying. Two not. days off. <laughs> Do it. It's okay. not. It's not. Um, I'll send you the paper. You go home, you prep, you get your procedure, and you go back to work the next day. Um, let me say, I think probably where we can agree on, because I am leaving out a lot of stuff that I totally agree with you guys on. But if if what you're looking at is your patients in clinic who you're seeing, okay, and you accept that, okay, you know, 90% of the patients who you say should have a colonoscopy have a colonoscopy, and we're not thinking about money because we're dealing with an individual patient in the office, which we do as doctors, mm -hmm. right? You guys are going to say, yeah, I'm not doing colon cancer screening, even though I can prevent you know, for every, whatever, 260 people I do this to, I prevent a colon cancer. I'm pro FlexSig. I just want the, rec I mean, I am actually pro, it has all cause mortality benefit, but uh, so that's where I am on it. So if this yeah. study gave the same result with FlexSig, you would say, I accept that. You mean a positive result with FlexSig? Yeah, exactly these same results, but they use FlexSig instead of colonoscopy. You said, I'm all in. We're doing flex. No, I guess I like FlexSig because of the multiple randomized trials to date. That's why I like it. Yeah, okay. But I want one more point about the right versus left. Let's, I got to make this point. Okay, so the right and left breast, they're, as far as I know, the same. Uh, I mean, I have not learned anything that tells me otherwise uh, in my, in my in both anecdotally or uh, scientifically. I've never learned anything. Okay, but the right and left colon, I think, are really different beasts. I mean, in terms of cancer, 
We have early P53 loss. We have more sessile polyps. We have more polyps that are harder to detect on visual inspection, pop more interval cancer, different response to biologic agents like cetuximab and avastin, um, just fundamentally different beasts. And so I guess what I would say is imagine a hypothetical 1 million person randomized control trial of Flexig versus colonoscopy. I guess I would say one possibility is colonoscopy has an additional colorectal cancer death re reduction. But I think another totally acceptable possibility with available data is that they tie because the deaths we are reverting are predominantly left-sided. And so in my mind, I think that's also and, one of the reasons... Okay, go on. And there's probably a negative effect of colonoscopy, right? Go on. Um, and so if you did yes, that ideal yes, study of yes. flexing versus colonoscopy, yes. where you were really able to measure all of the downside of colonoscopy, I agree with you. I bet they do tie. Okay, well, then in that case, I think that's why Israel and Sweden and Norway and many other European nations go with the Flexig because they say, you know, until you prove it to me that that extra 1300 buckaroos from my pocket and this extra stuff is worth it, why are we as a society? And to be honest, okay, here's the question Do you think this would happen? If the GI doctors here weren't so high, so, so fat on the hog. I mean, isn't it about money to some degree? It is. Adam, can I answer that? You can certainly say it's about money, but you have to admit that it's also profoundly bioplausible. Right? Yes, if you ignore the mutations, yes. No, okay, no, right, okay. No, I agree with you. It's, it's, it's intuitive and logical that looking both sides is better than one. And Vinay, you have taken care of people who have died right -sided, from right-sided right -sided colon. Many. In fact, more often. And I've taken people who had all their colonoscopies and still died of colon cancer. And that's also a bias I have. Yeah. Okay, John? Uh -huh. Well, I was just going to say that whenever, when it, uh, one of the first lessons I learned in private practice is for senior partners that whenever somebody asks the question, uh, is it about the money? The answer is always yes. So, <laughs> of course, that's a conflict. But Adam, I... I I want to read you. I want to read you something that you you may remember, and and this is in regards to if these numbers were on a patient decision aid, and um, we it, it, this, the 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 pros is this. The question we ask is simple: Would an unbiased patient who had perfect knowledge of an intervention's trade-offs voluntarily choose to adopt it, and taking into account differing patient resources, pay for it? So my question to you is: If if this were a libertarian system. And, and, and there was skin in the game, and someone looked at a 0.15% risk reduction in the best case scenario, I mean, how much value would, it, would a person put on that? And I, I guess I'm asking only from, an, you know, from a philosophical argumentative standpoint, but I just, I, I just don't think we can decouple this from the, 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 the resources and, and cost issue. I mean, you know as well as me, people have, people are quite idiosyncratic in their decision making. Okay. And if I was pitching this and I was saying, you know, it's actually a 0.38% absolute risk reduction in preventing colon cancer, if you decide to have this test, right, and follow through with this test, which is why I think the per protocol numbers are important. And we live in a world where, and I, and probably more close to agreeing with you than a lot of people, um, that the cost of it is invisible to the patient. Um, and so if, if people are paying for it, you're gonna have a widespread of people who say, yes, I'm gonna pay for it because I really don't wanna end up with colon cancer. And I understand it's unlikely in either direction, but I'm gonna do it. In a world where most people are not paying extra for this test, and you say, listen, you can have this test, kind of stinks. You're going to have a day off. You're going to have diarrhea the night before, blah, 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 blah. But it's going to, you know, one in 260 of my patients who have this test will not get colon cancer because of this. You're going to have a lot of people taking that. I, have I a guess question. the question, I guess the question I would put is just an economic one and, and how right. much, how well, much. I have an answer for you, John, which yeah. is okay. I mean, I think that if you told, I mean, let's just say for the sake of argument, the per protocol effect, which I quibble with, but let's say for the sake of, it's totally true. I think, I think an individual, there's a, there's, there's different people. We all know there's different people. There are people who say, you know, screw it to even substantive benefits that I wouldn't walk away from. And then there are people who chase, they'll chase rainbow. So, you know, they'll chase benefits that even I think don't exist. I think if the benefit was 11.03% risk of death over a decade, dropping down to 10.88% risk of death over a decade, 
I think a lot of people would say, um, I think the dialogue would be different than the current way we're selling. I mean, I think that the way we're selling now is you're 50. Oh, I'm sorry. You're 45. The USPS, they just pulled that out of their back pocket. You're 45, buddy. Um, you, ought, you have to do this. And if you don't do this, you're a bad, you know, you don't care about your health and all this stuff. I don't think we're having that dialogue, which is that if you do this, and by the way, this trial doesn't really apply to a 45-year-old. No trial does. They've not included it. This is a 55-year-old in your office, hypothetically. And, and to be honest, I actually think it's sobering that the risk of death in a decade is 10 is 11%. I think that's high. I mean, I wouldn't want an 11% 10-year risk of death. Um, and I think we don't acknowledge that enough. Um, but I think if you told somebody, 60-year-old person, you have a you know 11% risk of death, we dropped 10.88, I don't think they'll be so inclined. And I think there's another downside of colonoscopy that we don't talk about, which is you got your colonoscopy, but you died of an MI the year later, or AML two years later, or breast cancer three years later, because you had a procedure you didn't need. And so that's all downside. I mean, even if the procedure went swimmingly. No, this is my exact point in the beginning, mm -hmm. is that 11% of people in this age group died. And, you know, if, and, and this is my point is that it's just difficult for one screening test to to change that. And um, I mean, and I and, guess and that's, that's why cardiology always wins because cardiology deaths are so high that when you control blood pressure and statins and cholesterol, you can get the OM benefit. But we in cancer, we have no, too many different cancers. It's hard no, for us. Not to anymore. Do it. Not anymore. Vinay. We in the old heart failure trials, the yeah. old heart failure trials, the beta blocker and ACE inhibitor trials, we measured mortality. Uh, we we reduced mortality. Well, now we've gone to cardiovascular death and heart failure hospitalizations and heart failure hospitalizations is this tiny fraction of total hospitalization. Yeah, so they're, we they're can't like COVID hospitalizations, easy to tell apart. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the, the point is, it's the same thing with okay. these stroke prevention okay. strategies, like these devices. The point is that you can't reduce stroke by doing one thing because there's so many competing causes. And when you're 65 years old, uh, you know, there are tons of competing causes and, and one but let me kind, ask you a question, John, a question for you. Yeah. Of all the screening tests out there, would you agree with Adam that this has the best data? To be honest, colorectal cancer screening. Yeah, but I, I mean, well, what about what about cervical cancer screening? And, and um, uh, it's not uh, fair. Uh, yeah. It's okay. But other than I, that. I, OK, but I'll tell you why it's not fair. I guess it's not fair because um, many of the, the pushes push for cervical cancer screening predate. Um, you know, a lot of the efforts for randomization. We do have one very good done study, the Shastri study, JNCI 2009, for visual inspection of the cervix. Um, but cervical cancer screening, I think, is good. But if anything, I think we're learning. We're doing a little bit too much of it, and they're backing down and being a little bit less um, aggressive. But okay, let's put that aside. Mammo, PSA, colonoscopy, or CT lung, if you got to pick one. Well I think it. I think the colon cancer screening is the best, and it. Okay, that's what it, I think too. Okay, all right, fine. Okay, yeah. But, but the, the the absolute risk reductions are in this are just so sobering and so uh, illustrative of my point of competing causes of death, and I think it gets to the whole question of whether you think you can control outcomes by by doing one thing. I mean, you can. You can reduce your probability of dying by not smoking, by exercising, by wearing your seatbelts, and you know. But this is just this is just stretching that in 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 my opinion. But John, you just made the argument, right? That we're not talking about one thing, right? You're talking about you go to the doctor at 50 and you get a lot of things, right? You get a whole bunch of vaccines to decrease your risk. You get a whole bunch of screening tests to decrease your risk. And we're seeing small benefits of all of those, right? And the hope is that overall that helps. Um, I think this is where you kind of, you got to tread lightly between minimalism and nihilism, right? No, 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 uh, it's I not nihilism, Adam, because, <laughs> because when I see a 95 year old in the hospital and the nurse says, hey, uh, Mandrola, this patient hasn't seen a doctor in 40 years. There's a part of my brain that says, that may be why they're 95. <laughs> oh, you jumped truth to that. Because okay, that, is, that, is, that is the Adam, best I'm not discounting. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> That's called I'm a per-protocol analysis, Adam. It's a per-protocol. <laughs> Among 95-year-olds, <laughs> the per-protocol. I just, I, just, I just think that I, I think that I have this philosophy that medicine excels we we're in a we're just yes in and a, taking uh, care of sick people. That's what we excel at. We who, all we people, all agree that John. People I were think, asking yeah, for our help. We all, 
Yes, of you know, course. That's what we're just, always good at taking I symptoms. I was going to say, yeah. don't, don't finish because you'll insult us. Because <laughs> well, we all agree we with you it. on that. We agree with yes. that. Yes, okay. Um, um, and and we, we all agree with... prevention and screening is the hardest thing. And that's why, right. yeah, that's the hardest thing to take a healthy person truly walks in your door. They look fine. They feel fine. Nothing bothers them. And, and you know, David Sackett called it the arrogance. It is a sort of arrogance. A doctor has to say, I can make you better. You know, you go, you look so good, but I can make you better. And I think that's the that's the crux of the the. Debate. And to combine a little bit with what both you guys said, because people make somewhat strange decisions and because we do have to pay for this, you know, this has the benefit that a lot of people are going to say, forget it, you know, and this is where, John, what you said is so important that we need to educate people on what the actual benefits of this are, right? And we actually all benefit if you know, 60% of people say, I'm not doing this, right? Because we save money. And the 40% who do get do it, you know, they get a benefit. It's probably not an overall survival benefit, but it probably is a, oh God, you know, I need a colectomy at some point. Yeah, but not a benefit they wouldn't otherwise get with FlexSig. No, okay, no, but I got a question for you, which is this. And I, for, we should have said at the beginning of this that you have to promise not to say the word flex. <laughs> <laughs> Flexing is my, and you know, before this happened, I asked Adam if he watched my video and he said, I don't have time to watch your video. <laughs> okay. But here's, here's my, here's my, um, my question. Um, okay. Cancer screening, it's always a moving target from mammography to PSA to breast, uh, to colon to this. I guess, you know, and Adam, you know, you, you and I wrote that thing about the expiration date of medicine. Yeah. I mean, I guess let's take a second and step back because, I mean, you know, obviously I don't disagree with you. We all have to make these choices, how we're going to navigate this with our patients in the months and weeks to come. Um, and I think, you know, the way you do it is is probably better than, you know, 99 point. You know, I know you're an excellent doctor, so I don't doubt you. Um, but my question is, let's say you're in charge of NIH and you're in charge of creating the research agenda What's your research agenda going to look like with colorectal cancer screening over the next 10 years? And would you just create a system where we're like kind of always in some sort of randomization because these things are moving or like, I don't know, how, how would we sort this out if, if I gave you a couple billion dollars to sort it out? Yeah, no, that's a, it's a great question. And um, what's important is that I think you're right. We do need to keep on studying this because as you started this conversation, you know, I think what screening is most sensitive to is not the technology of screening but it's the treatment of the disease. And the better and better you get at treating a disease, the less important it is to screen, right? And I think treating colon cancer is still a fairly morbid process. It may not be in 10 years. Um, and I would also love you know, trials that do truly compare these different modes of, um, of intervention, you know, of screening. And it's the reason I was sort of disappointed with this article because before I really understood what they were looking at, when I start reading it, I was like, this isn't going to tell me anything because it's colonoscopy against nothing. And, you know, that's not a question right now. You know, maybe it should be to John's point, but living in reality. So like I have reviewed four malpractice suits over the last five years. Of <laughs> Right, of, of people with colon cancer because they weren't screened, okay? You got a long argument to make before we give up all colon cancer screening. Here's a hypothetical it's, trial. But so I really okay, like yeah, your yeah. trials of like, yeah, yeah. look, you know, everybody I see, yeah. you know, gets randomized to fit testing, flex sig, colonoscopy, yeah, 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 yeah. and that trial gets repeated every five yeah, years yeah, yeah. as the technology of the screening and our treatment improves. Yeah, that, I, Adam, I couldn't. Go on. I, yeah. I, I couldn't disagree more with with that trial because let me use the example of heart failure. When I started, when I started, well, a little bit after I started, we put preventive defibrillators in people who had heart failure, and uh, due to non-ischemic causes, no block. This, this, this was 1946 or 47. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so. In those days, in those days, uh, there was clear benefit of putting a defibrillator in a patient with heart failure that didn't have coronary disease. Okay, what's happened is just as Vinay said, there's temporal trends. And, and, and the heart failure uh, authors have published this. They've actually published it in New England that the risk of sudden death in heart failure has gone down because we've gotten better at things. So as treatment got better, as air pollution's gotten better, as trans fats have gone down, sudden death has gone down. Now, the Danish uh, people, uh, Danish investigators, did a trial comparing defibrillators uh, to no defibrillators, which would have been 
unethical uh, 15 years ago, and there wasn't a shred of difference. So because the disease state has improved, it right. makes it more important, I think, to have a no treatment a no treatment arm when you're talking about preventive therapy. So John, Absolutely. here's a hypothetical trial, hypothetical trial, three arms. Okay, arm one, you do exactly what Adam says, which is that the doc, everyone's advised to, you ought to get a colonoscopy. And if that's a deal breaker, we'll meet you where you are, flexig or fit. And by the way, I know, and I like how Adam's not reaching for that worthless blood test, you know, okay. So that's Adam's arm, you know, that's Adam's practice. That's one arm. The other arm is you offer everyone a flex sig. And if they decline that, they can get a fit. I, you know, obviously they're probably not going to want to get a colonoscopy if they declined a flex sig. Um, that's the second arm. And then you're saying that you still have equipoise for a third arm of really doing nothing. And that you want like a, an arm where, but, but there, there'll be some um, contamination. This is U.S. In the U.S., you, you're not going to run a trial that ain't contaminated in the U.S. It'll be contaminated. Okay, fine, but it's pragmatic, and then yes. and then you have a then you have a DSMB look at it early, and if if there's any if there's any signal, then and then what's your you, primary endpoint? You close that arm. My arm, come on, my arm, my primary endpoint is colorectal cancer death. Okay, because that's even that's what about even, all cause death? Yeah, exactly. Okay. I mean, the reason to. The reason to get screened for cancer is because cancer is scary. It's the same reason why people do coronary artery calcium scans, because they're scared of dying of heart disease. They're not scared of having an MI. They're scared of dying of an MI. So, and John, so you, you, you really don't see any difference between mammogram, breast cancer screening with mammography and colon cancer screening with colonoscopy, given that one truly is a preventative test and one is truly fishing for disease. You you mean a preventive test meaning they can clip something? Clip a yeah. polyp, yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, maybe it's a little better, but it's in the same it's in the same ilk. I mean, if if uh, if you really wanted to be screened and you were you know you were against you were against invasive testing, you can do fecal occult blood. Again, Adam, I just I I just um, if this if this trial showed a survival benefit or a signal for survival benefit or a signal for disease specific benefit, I would be like, okay, it's a small benefit, we should do it. But this is this is so confirmative of, of the negative. issue of competing causes, competing causes of death. I mean, you could have a colonoscopy and be hit by a car the next day. You could have a colonoscopy and and uh, get a headache and it's a brain tumor. And, and, and I think that that's that's one of the types of overdiagnosis that's harder to quantify, which is competing death swamping. Okay, but I have one quick question for you both. This is the last question because I know you guys are going to want to run. And everyone's so angry anyway, they want to go to the gym. <laughs> okay, here's my last question. Grail. Grail is coming. I mean, it's coming. And what is Grail? Grail is a single blood test that we're going to be uh, you know, confronted with very soon. And they're going to say, you know, and I don't think they're going to run a randomized trial power for all-cause mortality, John. I'm pretty sure they're not going to. They're going to try to offer this service. And so I guess my question is, what would you want to see before you use Grail? Grail is a single blood test that's supposed to tell you if you have a cancer, maybe pancreas, maybe colon, maybe esophagus, maybe something else. Um, what about these new tests coming? I think John and I will will agree 100% on this. <laughs> That's what I was hoping I, for. That you have to show overall mortality benefit because the risk of harm with that test is enormous. And the risk of financial harm with that test is enormous, right? That frightens me. Um, and, I, and it doesn't frighten me a whole lot more than mammogram screening and prostate cancer screening. Um, and the only reason I'm arguing with you guys on this one is that I actually think preventing disease um, um, is important and makes me give up my, you know, worship at the altar of overall survival, which well, you I guys clearly haven't woken up to. <laughs> I have a solution for it, which is I think cancer screening trials should actually be powered for overall survival and all those procedures, all that quality of life. We need some way to capture that. And I yes. think that's, yeah, yes. okay. John, your thoughts, Grail? No, I I, I agree. Again, I, I keep an open mind about this because, you know, I, we, we couldn't imagine the internet before the internet. So I, I keep an open mind. That it, I guess anything's possible with technology, but I am so fearful. I'm so fearful of, of putting people into the healthcare system and on that train who, who are healthy because there's just so much there's just so much danger from these cascades of care because of our risk aversion and our and our idea that we can control outcomes more than we can. And so I, I agree, Adam, totally. I would want to see 
I would want to see data, the downstream effects, and I would want to see some important clinical outcomes that were changed, not just diagnoses of, of, of new lesions on an X-ray or, or, um, or, uh, or ultrasound. You know, it's interesting. I guess my, I mean, I, this was a good discussion, and I'm glad uh, Adam gave a strong defense of uh, of a dying practice. No, no, you know, a strong defense of colonoscopy because I think you know, there are, Adam is probably, if anything, the tamest of our of the people out there. I mean, I looked at what the comments are. Many people believe colonoscopy unequivocally, you know, is the preferred option, and that you'd be crazy not to do it. And um, and uh, and so I am glad you defended it. Um, and uh, you know. Uh, like everything, you know, we'll know more in five years. There's at least three more studies. There's the Swedish study, which unfortunately, you know, you think 42% was bad, but that Swedish study, I hear they ain't even getting to 42. Then the Doug Robertson and then the David Lieberman study are pretty good. Um, I had thought one would read out by now, but it hasn't read out yet. Um, you know, these debates are fun. They, uh, I mean, you got to admit one thing that we never, we didn't have to say COVID and that's fun. You know, it's nice to talk about medicine. I did throw out the mask and the turtle issue. <laughs> and listeners should know that that's because I had a Substack post with a photograph, and the photograph was of a surgical mask strangling a turtle, and the piece was about how we don't need to mask in lobbies and hallways. And by the way, the CDC, and, came, and, the CDC and, changed, to my point of view. As, huh? And as things work on Twitter, I get attacked because Vinay puts up a picture of a turtle. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, how could you, how could you tweet this link? And this tur turtle being strangled. But, you know, I will say, I stand by it. More turtles were strang will be strangled ultimately than cases of COVID-19 averted. All right, gentlemen, um, any, any closing thoughts? Last thoughts is a real pleasure. Um, you know, great discussion, cost effectiveness, effectiveness per protocol, ITT. These are classic epidemiology concepts. You know, there's ultimately no single answer with one single trial. So we'll all have to stay tuned. All right. Great seeing you guys. Great to see you. This will be up all soon. All right. Great to see you all. People should Talk check soon. out Sensible Medicine. Uh, it's an excellent sub stack. Both these gentlemen write for it and many others. So thank you.